Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 198, being recorded on Thursday, November 7th, 2019. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason Scott Show listeners. Jason, we're at episode 198, and we have a really big surprise for everyone on episode 200. I'm, I'm giddy all over with excitement. I know I am too. I, every each time I say one of those big numbers in the intro, I'm like, "Oh my god, we're going to have to learn how to start saying the twos. It's like our Y2K day." Yeah, and um for those listeners that haven't seen Jason give a live talk, he always talks about how if you enjoyed the talk, there's over uh, you know, X hours of him out on the internet and pretty soon you're going to be able to roll that part of your slide over to 200. I know. It turns out I've been lying because I generally like round up to 200 hours in those live talks. And uh, in preparation for our big 200 anniversary show, I did the math and it's actually like 176 hours of us. Okay. Close enough. We'll get there eventually. Keep plugging away. Yeah, we might tonight. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) That's a a lot of hours. uh, anyway, so Thanksgiving is only three weeks away, so we thought uh, we would spend a fair amount of this episode looking at the holiday forecast. But before we do, um, being gadget geeks, we wanted to talk a little bit about that first. Uh, so you and I both had the, um, the fortune to get the latest new uh, wireless ear devices. So uh, AirPod Pros and Echo Buds came out. Um, and everyone on Twitter was wondering how your experience with both of those went. So, so give us your review. Yeah. Uh, so I was super excited. They both arrived the same day. I don't know if Amazon like stepped on the gas to make that happen or, or maybe Apple did, but, um, that was coincidental. Uh, so, uh, I have to say that I like the AirPod pros better than the echo buds for almost everything. Um, and, Somewhat disappointingly, for my use case, which I mainly use these things as my phone interface for being on conference calls like eight hours a day, I'm not sure that either one of them are better than the original AirPods. Mm, Controversial. So you don't like the noise canceling of the AirPod Pro? Well, so a couple of things. And I I literally did a test. And I even I recorded some audio files. Um, So... One thing, when you're using it as a phone interface, I don't like to wear both air, ear uh, pods at the same time. Oh, you're that one ear guy. Because yeah. if I do one ear, I essentially have unlimited battery life because I can have one in for two hours while the other one's charging in the case, pop the, the charged one in, take the uncharged one out, and I can literally, like, I literally have these eight-hour blocks where I'm just on the phone. And any of these products work for that when you only wear one at a time. Uh, but they none of them do noise cancellation when you only have one ear in. So so for phone use, noise cancellation doesn't work. Um, I do occasionally listen to music, and to me, the AirPod Pros sound much better than the the Echo Buds. Um, but I did test both of their noise cancellation, and the the Echo Buds, which have Bose technology in them, 
definitely have stronger noise cancellation. They they eliminate more background noise than the AirPod Pros do. Yeah, I, I, uh, so one idea to solve your one 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 ear problem is just to get two sets. You you probably have twelve of these things at this point, so why not just put both in and then rechart and then switch every two hours? Yes. Well, the dirty secret of my family is left to my own devices. I would have way too many sets, but I can't, uh, offsetting that my wife is very adept at losing them. Ah, okay. <laughs> so it's so, one of the rare things where like, like my strength balances out her weakness when in most of everything else, it's the opposite. So your sets go to backfill her lost sets. It, it does seem that way. <laughs> uh, cool. uh, but I, I do, uh, I feel like the AirPods are more comfortable um the echo buds like are more in your ear and they it just feels like a big thing in your ear i mean fit's going to be kind of personal to everyone uh but i tested the microphones because i was curious which one sounded better um and the airpod pros are basically the same as the airpods on the microphone which is a pretty good microphone and it, it does a decent job of eliminating background noise and it does a really good job surprisingly of eliminating wind noise uh the Echo Buds, the, there's no stem, so the microphone is in your ear, and so not surprisingly, it sounds much worse. Yeah, that, just that inch of closer to your mouth is helpful. Um, but the Echo Buds are horrible in the wind, like almost unusable. Hmm. Which for a Chicago, I seems important. Yeah, yeah, I am sometimes on my way to Starbucks while I'm doing these calls. So the, uh, and as you know, I'm quite speedy, so I create a lot of wind just walking. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you're like the flash down there so yeah. it's a problem but i will say it it is mildly cool in my house having the echo buds because i have so much of this novelty home automation around my house um that with this thing in your ear like just being able to like very quietly utter anywhere in the house like you know to do something and have it happen does give you kind of a tony stark kind of feel yeah um I was kind of a little depressed by the Echo Buds because they do feel like having a giant ball of wax in your ears or something, and that feels heavy and like you don't want to move your head around or they'll pop out. Um, they have these wings, but I just didn't. I think I lost them the second I opened the package. Uh, and then, um, you know, I was I've been predicting that you know it would be awesome to have Alexa in your ear like that. But then I'm in an open office, so and it's got noise canceling, so I'm sitting there screaming, you know, Alexa, play this, so that that. So I actually can't really use it that much. It is good for exercise, though, if you want to you, you know, get Alexa to play a certain song or something or skip or whatever during exercise. So so I found it. But then, like, you know, if I'm exercising, I'm moving around a lot. And they'll, they'll, they don't feel good. So I'm a little bummed about it. They, they yeah. didn't live up to my expectation. No, I agree. I, I was underwhelmed. And to be honest, I kind of disqualified them the second I opened the box because the case is too big. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a bar of soap. Yeah, I mean, I carry these things in my pocket all the time, and the Echo Bud case just wouldn't fit in my my pocket. Uh, but that being said, on the last show, I did reference that I was installing a new gadget, which is Echo Control for my kitchen sink. And I, I've now successfully installed that. And as predicted, like, nobody needs this. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's, you know easier to just turn on and off your water than it is to tell echo to turn on and off your water. Um, but I will say there were two things that, that use cases that I didn't consider that are kind of cool. Like you can tell it, uh, echo fill two cups of water. 
and it pours exactly two cups of water, which can be kind of handy for some things. Um, and then uh, my four-year-old son thinks this is the greatest thing on the planet. The two cups of water or the no, whole thing? sitting in the kitchen, turning on and off the faucet. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So it's a new entertainment device in my house. Cool. Pretty soon we'll just lose all use of our limbs and just, it'll be like that uh, in Wally where we're just in the chairs and slurping sodas and talking into computers. I'm moving one step closer to that Wally vision of the future every day. <laughs> well, awesome. Thanks for the gadget updates. Uh, I think you are actually in big, beautiful New York City for this episode, which makes me wonder any interesting trip reports. Yeah, yeah. I got to visit a few stores. I've actually been in New York last week and this week. And uh, last week, there was a big retail opening in New York. Um, Nordstrom opened their flagship store in New York. So, you know, obviously Nordstrom based in Seattle. They kind of expanded on the West Coast. Um, and uh, they they now have, um, you know, this this flagship store in the kind of heart of, of uh, the retail ecosystem here in Manhattan. So it was a big deal to see what that store would look like. Um, and while I would, I would say it's a excellent implementation of a traditional department store. Um, and so, you know, I, uh, it, it had a lot of, uh, cool, smart features. Um, so there was a lot of personalization options. There's a lot of places where you could, you know, buy your jeans and have them embellished like in the store. Uh, they have alterations while you wait, which is, pretty cool so they have like tailors on every floor and you can actually watch the tailor like hemming pants and stuff um they had some really you know extravagant shopping shops like there, there's a you know a, a really cool nike shopping shop a bunch of good restaurants um some some nice digital amenities they do same day delivery uh they have a, a rich uh buy online pickup in store experience um so a lot of cool stuff um, but nothing that's gonna sort of revitalize the department store category, I don't think. Um, and I, it's gonna be really interesting because, like, this may be the best department store in Manhattan, you know, with a caveat that for most people, the best department store is the one whose assortment matches your taste the most. Um, but, you know, there, there are so many department stores in Manhattan that have this uh, rich brand history that Nordstrom doesn't have here. Like, it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to win over consumers or not. Yeah. Uh, where is it? It's not uh, Hudson Yard, is it? No, 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 no. So it's uh, very near Central Park on, like, Broadway and 57th. Okay. Um, so, and this kind of completes their New York deployment. So they actually opened a men's store a couple of years ago, maybe 18 months ago. And now this store is across the street from that. Um, so it's a, you know, uh, women and home is this new store. Men's is across the street. They already have uh, a couple Nordstrom racks, which is their discount concepts in New York. And then they have two of these satellite stores that they call Nordstrom local and Nordstrom local is kind of a, a digital extension of Nordstrom. You can do buy online pickup in store there. Um, you can do returns there. You know, it, it's a lot of omni channel amenities. They don't have inventory there so you don't go shopping for new stuff um but if you want you know a personal shopper to help you or you want to pick up some digital purchases or things like that they have a couple of these digital uh nordstrom local stores and one of the clever amenities they launched in nordstrom local maybe a month ago is that they would accept returns from their competitors 
So you can return your Macy's purchases at this Nordstrom local. How does that work? Uh, unauthorized. <laughs> you return them to Nordstrom, Nordstrom packages them up and drives them to Macy's for you. But then like, how do they verify, like how do they avoid fraud? Like, yeah, I haven't I gone through the experience. So I, I think like, you know, it's probably like, I mean, the, Nordstrom isn't crediting you the money when you drop them off. Like they're just providing the amenity of packaging them and, and uh, you know, uh, mailing them if it's an e-commerce thing or, or taking them to the store. But like if the store doesn't give you a credit, your, your, your beef is going to be with Macy's, not with Nordstrom. Okay. So it's more of just a drop off, not a full return kind of no, experience. Exactly. It's not like happy returns for, for these competitors. Yeah. Cool. What else? What else have you seen? Yep. So then uh, I'm staying uh, this week down in Tribeca, which is very close to the uh, Amazon four star store. So I went back there to check it out. Um, I like that store more than some people like it continues to be super busy. Uh, There was not a lot of new stuff going on there. Like, you know, the assortment had kind of pivoted to holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did grab you a Nordstrom toy catalog because you I saw on Twitter that you didn't get one. So uh, yeah, an Amazon one. I'm sorry. Yeah. An Amazon toy catalog. So, uh, which is awesome. Kind of a, Thanks. Yeah. I heard it has a great star Wars section. I look forward to seeing it. Yeah. 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 I just got to figure out how to get it to you. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, I like the four star store as well. I, it's got like a cool, I've, I've bought several things in there that I didn't know, know existed, you know, and it's kind of cool to see them. I like the section where they have those exclusives that are kind of like the things they've gotten from Kickstarter. A lot of that stuff. I kind of want touch it because i've had so many weird bad experiences with that kind of stuff um so uh, that's my favorite part of the store it's got kind of a beta kind of a feel to it in that little section yeah no for sure and i mean my premise has always been that that store and the bookstores are sort of trojan horses they're really amazon device stores um and as the amazon devices like that ecosystem gets more and more complicated pun intended um you know with a broader assortment of echoes and rings and um you know, and then all the stuff that works with them, it, it's super helpful to have uh, a store to sort of show the the cross device experiences and whatnot. Um, and that 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 reminded me. Uh, so where I live in Chicago is within a mile of an Amazon bookstore, and uh, that bookstore got remodeled last month. So I went back to it this weekend before I came here, and that's pretty interesting too because the original bookstore concepts. Uh, like many bookstores really tried to have kind of a third place feel. So there was a lot of soft seating where you could kind of sit and read a book and charge your phone while you're reading a book. And the, uh, the, the one in my neighborhood had an intelligentsia coffee shop. Um, and the remodel, what they basically did is tear out all of those uh, dwell time amenities to make more room for more Amazon devices. So they got rid of the coffee shop. They got rid of the soft seating uh, they added a bigger Amazon device section. And then, you know, one upgrade that maybe is only interesting to me, but um, all of these stores try to match online and offline pricing. The online pricing changes all the time. So when they launched the bookstores, they had what I thought was a horrific experience. You couldn't tell the price of anything and you had to scan everything with your phone in order to find out what the current price was. Yeah. They didn't want to have paper price tags. Then, you know, fast forward a couple of years, they opened this four-star store and they deployed uh, digital price tags so that they could always have a current price. And uh, so you had this weird period where the four-star stores and the newest bookstores had digital prices and the older bookstores 
had no prices. And now they're remodeling the older bookstores and not surprisingly, they, they did add the digital price tags to everything. Interesting. And you love a digital price tag. Yeah. I, I, well, I've been predicting that it's going to be the big year of them for every year for like four years. So I'm, uh, and now I'm going to be extra stubborn because I predicted that Amazon was going to have an Echo uh, ear earphone for like three years and it never happened. And then when I finally gave up, they made it. So now I feel like I need to need to stick to my guns. Um, also in Tribeca is a very hyped store called Showfields. I think I've talked about it before. It's in this family of physical marketplaces. So the landlord creates a cool retail space. Um, brands will lease a shelf. And then they sell their own products on the shelf. So we've talked about um, Beta as being a model of that, Neighborhood Goods, Four Posts. Um, there's a, a number of these concepts. And there's one that's here, just here in New York, um, called Showfields. And they've been do, getting a lot of buzz lately for uh, having a retail show where they put on like some retail theater. And I've been reading about this, so I wanted to go check it out. So, so I went back to the Showfield store. Um, and I've kind of decided that the, the gimmick of the, the retail theater is actually kind of annoying. (laughs) So they have a, it's a three story store, you know, with a bunch of pods and the usual suspects of all these like challenger brands that have rented a spot. So it's, uh, like the quip, um, uh, toothbrushes and, and all that sort of stuff. Like that, there is a cool assortment of vendors in here that are selling stuff. I will, I will totally give them that. They're each renting a space to show their product. Um, and so what they've done is the bottom floor is kind of self-service browsing. The third floor is self-serving browsing. And the second floor, instead of having quote unquote sales associates, they have actors. And the idea behind these actors is they like, they have like a canned presentation about the products and about how they use the products in their life. And it, it really is just like a presentation from a salesperson. Yeah. Um, but it, it's like you walk in the store and they, they confuse everyone by going, are you here to shop or go on the tour? And it's like, well, if you want to shop any of the stuff on the second floor, you can't avoid being on the tour. <laughs> and if you want to see anything on the, the first or third floors, the tour isn't going to help you. Um, so it just, it seemed a little like overly gimmicky and, you know, God forbid you just want to look at the products on your own on the second floor. Like you can't because this, you know, desperate actor is trying to earn a SAG card in a retail store. There's, um, I went there and it had a slide. Do they still have the slide where you would they go did. to the top floor and come yeah. out? So from third to second, you go down, you can go down the slide, which I of course did. And I videoed it. So look for the Twitter video of me going down the slide, which I know people are super eager to see. Um, and it's a significant slide. Like it has a couple of rotations in it. Did you have your, some of your pods in for this? I did not. <laughs> were, Could have been a they, good wind test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were in my pocket. Um, and I think both my knees did survive the slide. So that, that was good news, but here's, here's what I'm really going to say. So on one of the floors, they have these like cool replacements for shoelaces. So they're, they're like these permanent rubber bands. You get them in any color you want. And, uh, and then it turns any lace shoe into a slip-on shoe. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of novel. I'll try that. And so I, I tried to buy a pack. And you can't pay for them on the, like, on the floor where they are. 
or at least it didn't seem like you could. Like there was no salesperson to pay. There's no cash register. So I go down to the ground floor and I say, hey, how do I pay for these things? And they're like, oh, you were supposed to um, pay for them up there. There's like one salesperson. She must have been busy with someone else. But no worries, I can ring you up. And so then it's like, uh, she's like, that'll be $20. And I'm like, well, it said they were $14. And she's like, let me call up and ask. And she's like, well, it's $14 if you pick your own colors individually and grab 14 of them. But if you buy a pack of 14 that are all one color, you have to pay $20. <laughs> okay. That's so easy. I'm like, wait, so, you, so you're saying like, like if, I, if I go up there and just pick 14 of this exact color, you're only going to charge me $14. <laughs> but if I want them in the bag, I have to pay 20 And she's like, yeah, I'm afraid so, right? And it, and it was like a super awkward transaction. And like, basically, I abandoned my physical cart and walked out without buying these things. Um, and as I'm walking out, I'm thinking about it and I'm like, you know why there's so much friction and this is such a bad uh, buying experience. It's because the store does not have a KPI for retail sales. Yeah. Right. Like their, their KPI is rent. Um, and so that, you know, they, they optimize everything for this customer experience and, and, you know, getting good brands to come in, but they, you know, the people haven't really thought through like actually selling things and being financially successful. Lastly, whenever I'm in New York City, I always go to B&H Photo on uh, like uh, 33rd Street, which is kind of my adult Disneyland. Um, and then I generally will walk to the Macy's from there and check it out. So walk to the Macy's. A block away from the Macy's is this cool new Starbucks concept that I had been reading about that just opened the day I was there called Starbucks Pickup. And so this is a, a mobile order pickup only location. In, uh, allegedly, you can't place an order in the store but secretly you can't um and so i put some pictures online but this like whole store is optimized for people that just place their orders walk in pick it up um not get in line and place orders there's a cash register but it's kind of like hidden in the counter um and you don't see the baristas or the the um the espresso machines like you you know they just have all these alphabetized counters where you you come and get your drink and I think, yeah, so I think that's going to be a new concept that Starbucks is going to use in a lot of the high vol- volume order stores because the mobile orders in the stores have really disrupted the normal flow of the Starbucks. And so this is part of their their solution set for that. And this is a, a pilot. So that was kind of interesting. And then I did pop into the Macy's and it was the third installment of Story it had just gone live the day I was there. Um, so, you know, you'll remember Story was this, kind of retail theater concept that um, uh, was in sort of downtown uh, Manhattan, got bought by Macy's. They opened them up in a bunch of Macy's and the first theme was colors. So they had all this beautiful merchandise that was assorted by color in the department that, you know, they ran that for about a month. And then the second theme was Miracle Glow. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like a lot of gardening stuff and they had some cool merchandise, but, you know, my joke was, it and this I wasn't really joking. It did not smell very appetizing in that department. Like there was a lot of live miracle grow manure in that department. And so you know, usually when you're trying to create a great retail experience, you don't want it to smell like manure. Um, and so that went for about a month, and now they're on their third one, um, which is holiday. And so you know, this is like a good theme because it's all like sort of gift based. The the merchandising is really attractive. They have a bunch of cool different vignettes. Um, 
again, like a big theme is personalization. So there's a number of products that you can kind of get personalized to, um, uniquely to you. Uh, and for story, I felt like this is a particularly strong theme because one of the challenges with all these discovery experiences, you know, is why would people go there? What mission would they have that would get solved by going there? Right? Like no one walked into Macy's thinking, I want to see what I can do with miracle grow. Um, and so I'd argue that theme didn't have a lot of reason to go there, but the holiday theme, when you're just looking for gifts for people, seems like a much, uh, a much stronger, more, more, uh, cognizant theme. So I thought that was pretty well done. Yeah. I've, I've always been a little skeptical of that, but the, uh, the, my wife and daughters love that and they'll just spend tons of time. They like the discovery aspect of the, the story, even, even inside the Macy's. So I think we did the miracle glow one and then we've done the holiday one before and it was good. Yeah. And to me, it's, um, I think those concepts work better when they're inside of a store that serves other missions, right? So, you know, you need some new back to school clothes. You go to Macy's for your back to school clothes and you go check out this other discovery experience while you're there. Like I think stores that are exclusively a discovery experience that don't meet any other mission, like it's just harder to get traffic to them. Yeah. The cackle TV is tough. Exactly. Um, so that's a lot of, uh, store visits. Uh, we also, uh, do have some, you know, some, uh, news items this week. Commerce news. Yeah. Won't you fire, fire us up on that? Yeah. Well, fire, uh, is, well, maybe not fire, but, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, this, uh, the surprising news today is the CEO of gap, um, is, uh, stepping down. Uh, so this is a gentleman, Art Peck. Uh, I one of the things I've always liked is he he was the VP of e-commerce at Gap and got promoted into the the CEO role. Um, Gap has not been super successful during his tenure, and last year they announced this big move that they're going to spin off Old Navy as a separate company, and then the rest of the Gap brands were going to be operated as uh, you know this new co. Um, and uh, they had an earnings call today that was not very good. And then they announced that that uh, Art was stepping down, um, and so uh, you know they they announced an interim CEO who happens to be the the son of the founder who's been a board member. But I, I think the intent is to go out and do a search for a new CEO. Um, and so this kind of follows to me a trend. Like last last show, we talked about a lot of uh, CEOs that had had stepped down recently, and so this is another big one. Yeah, what what I don't like about this trend is there's no transparency. So they're they're not giving reasons for a lot of these people. And and like in the in the case of Under Armour, it really was bad because uh, Kevin Plank uh, stepped down, and then you know they had to announce accounting irregularities. So I, I you know because he didn't announce why, you kind of assume he was kind of hiding it. I, I think it's like it makes it look way worse than probably you know maybe those actually were disconnected. We don't know, but. When, when you have this lack of transparency, it, it makes you wonder what's going on. Yeah, and I think the same story at Nike. Like, there was great financial performance at Nike, but there was a lot of sort of negative press, like, around the whole uh, Alberto Salazar thing and treatment of women executives and treatment of female-sponsored athletes. Like, there's a fair amount of bad news. And then, you know, the CEO of a well-performing company announces he steps down and they don't give any specific reasons. Like, the the inference is that, you know, he's he's accountable for a lot of those, those missteps. Um, and then I, you know, it's not pure 
pure retail, but the CEO of uh, uh, McDonald's was let go this week for uh, impropriety. So a lot of a lot of um, uh, churn at the at, at the big chair for a lot of a lot of these, and in a couple of cases, they were you know in the case of McDonald's and Nike, they were financially performing very well. So um, the stocks actually took a hit when those guys left. Cool. In the uh, news section filed under Malageddon today, Sears announced they're going to close 96 more stores. So I think that's a, that's a pretty good chunk. It's about a third of the stores they have, and that'll leave about 180 stores between Sears and Kmart. So uh, all they have to do is do that two more times, and they'll be done. Yeah, I went. Uh, hopefully, they, you know, it's not death of a thousand cuts, but yeah. Um, sad for all the, the folks that were uh, working in those stores, but like certainly not surprising news. Um, in other retail again news, um, you know, bank, uh, Barney's had declared bankruptcy a while ago and we were waiting to see if they would be able to restructure, um, and continue operations or if they were going to get liquidated. And last week it was announced that they were in fact going to get liquidated. So basically, all the assets of the company, which is all the inventory they had in their stores, got sold to a liquidation company that's called Great America Group. And Great America is now selling at a discount all of that Macy, all that uh, Barney's merchandise. Um, and like to be honest, the a lot of people in the luxury space were really like holding their breath, a hoping Barney's wasn't going to liquidate. But if they were going to liquidate, like, oh my God, were they going to have a bunch of uh, designer you know luxury brands deeply discounted going into this holiday season and was that going to have a a a trickle-down effect on the rest of um the the retail space and was you know everybody in that category going to get take a hit for this and it seems like a great american is not sort of a quick churn uh sell everything in a fire sale kind of liquidator and they you know there's like 500 million dollars worth of inventory here and they want to get that value out of it and so the sales that are going on right now are very superficial it's like five percent off on all this stuff and i think people are kind of taking a sigh of relief that even if they subsequently have to discount some of this merchandise a lot more to sell it it seems like they're not going to discount it till after holiday and so that will at least preserve the holiday season for some folks and side note Apparently, LVMH had this crazy contract, this vendor agreement with Barney's uh, that in the event that uh, that they um, did uh, default, uh, that LVMH had the right to take all the merchandise back rather than have it be liquidated. And so, so, so far, they haven't exercised that clause, but apparently, like, they're so protective of their brand that they made sure that, like, you know, they wouldn't have a bunch of their, their stuff get deeply discounted on the market in any case. It's actually pretty smart. It's really smart. I think if you think more people should do that, like I think you'd have to have a lot of leverage in order to get that kind of vendor agreement signed because that's like a that's some kind of liability that that Barney's had to carry on the books. And so I don't like from an accounting standpoint, I'm sure that was super annoying. Um, and then the other half of Barney's is this intellectual property, and that got bought by this company called Authentic Brands, which is then going to license it to others. And they've already announced the first licensee is going to be uh Saks Fifth Avenue or the parent company is Hudson Bay Company. But so it seems like there's gonna be some Barney's branded departments or merchandise inside of Saks Fifth Avenue in the future. 
Cool. Um, one of the things that happened with Saks when they get sold is their headquarters building was worth more than probably the entire retailers. Does Barney's have a big real estate portfolio that would be maybe more valuable than a bunch of these these inventory items? That is a good question. So like Saks had a lot of real estate, but that famously it was this this New York flagship store that was worth like a billion dollars by itself. And somehow wasn't completely valued in the acquisition. So it's like, I assume some people lost their job over that. Um, the, I don't know what the real estate situation is with Barney's, if they own the real estate or they were leases. Um, I do know that the New York store, which is like their, you know, the biggest of their, I think it's seven stores or something, um, is, uh, going to continue operations for like a year in some like diminished capacity. So it like, at the very least, it doesn't sound like there's a piece of real estate that they're going to be able to liquidate quickly there. But uh, we shall see. I haven't read about uh, the specific real estate value yet. Um, a little more uh, uh, sort of digital news. Um, Profitero, which is one of the data providers that we talk about on the show sometime, did a pretty comprehensive price study going into holiday. Um, and I was a little surprised by the results. Like, basically, they took a big shopping cart of products and priced you know, a bunch of different retailers on this big shopping cart. And, divide, and there are like 12 categories of products. And Amazon was the low price in all 12 categories. Why does that surprise you? Uh, well, I like, despite the fact that Amazon's really aggressive on price, I actually don't think of Amazon as fundamentally a price leader. Like, I think of them as a fast forward. Like, I don't think they, like, historically, I don't feel like they've always tried to be the lowest price on everything, period. I think they've, watch the competition and make sure that they were competitive on everything and that they were the lowest price on some sort of keystone items that people tend to pay attention to. But this um, shows that either they've changed that strategy or I was wrong in thinking that was their strategy because it seems pretty clear that, that they are the low price guys going into holiday. Um, you know, Walmart was closest to them and in a few categories was very close, but in other categories, there's like a pretty significant gap. And and folks like Target had a pretty consistent price gap against against uh, Amazon. So it it seems like this is another phase of the bifurcation, where you know you you have the guys that are going for big assortment and going for super low prices, and almost every other retailer is going for some sort of more curated exclusive assortment and and more moderate prices. So I just thought that was that was interesting. I'll put a link to the study. Um, in the, the digital news category, Shopify launched a new amenity for their platform this, this week, which is their own email service provider. So now for the first time you can kind of natively run email campaigns in the Shopify ecosystem before this, you'd use a plugin to, a another ESP like MailChimp or, or a Cheetah Mail or one of, one of those. Um, and you know, now, Shopify is getting into that space themselves, which a lot of Shopify users are super excited about because they felt like that was, you know, it's a super important tactic for driving traffic to your store. And they felt like that was sort of a weak link in the, in the Shopify ecosystem. Um, and in fact, like based on some new data privacy rights over the last couple of months, a lot of the other ESPs had kind of moved away from the Shopify ecosystem. And that seemed kind of surprising until you saw this announcement that clearly Shopify wasn't worried about it because they knew they were going to, offer their own ESP. Um, and the reason that's interesting to me is 
you know, you think about how Shopify is going to continue to evolve and people, a lot of people talk about them being a potential Amazon competitor. Um, you and I have talked about that. I don't think of them as fundamentally an Amazon competitor because I think Amazon's main value add is that is providing traffic and Shopify doesn't provide any traffic. Um, but I think this more, much more clearly puts Shopify in the, the marketing stack techno, uh, competition set. So, you know, competing more directly with the sales forces and the Adobe's of the world. Yeah. The uh, kind of makes you wonder. So, so once you kind of add email capability, then, you know, if you listen to customers, the next thing they're going to want is a more robust CRM, right? Because, you know, just keeping a bunch of email addresses and hitting them with emails isn't good enough to then, you're going to want a segment. So then the segment, you're going to want to know, does Jason have a dog or a cat? Did he buy, what did he buy from me? And you know, now you're kind of squarely into CRM territory. And then once you do that, then they've got an order management system. They're building warehouse management. They're building a prime like, you know, uh, uh, fulfillment, yeah. fulfillment capability. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see they're they're kind of, you know, I think more and more competing with those cloud guys uh, than, than Amazon per se. Yeah, and for sure. And once you have that rich database of consumers and their preferences, you don't just want to email them. You want to buy the lookalike audiences on Facebook and all those things as well. So so there could be all kinds of advertising activations in that stack at some point. Um, and then last piece of news I want to um, comment on because it's been driving me nuts all week. Like two weeks ago, this research company, First Insight, published a study and um, uh, they picked an excellent clickbait name for the study. They called it Amazon Past Its Prime. And the, the conclusions of the study are that consumers are losing interest in Amazon. They're preferring Amazon less often. And in fact, the majority of consumers in this study prefer to do their online shopping at Walmart rather than Amazon. And I have counted no less than 50 articles written online about this you know, different aspects of this huge trend of consumers moving away from Amazon towards Walmart. And the reason it drives me nuts is because that is not a huge trend. Um, the, the studies of, a, they surveyed a thousand people and asked them where they went shopping. They didn't watch where they go shopping or look at their receipts or anything. They like, they surveyed someone in the middle of doing something else and said like, what e-commerce site do you use? And 501 of the thousand people they asked said, you know, thought of the word Walmart before they thought of the word Amazon. Was this a Bentonville thousand people? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what the methodology, and I'm, I'm going to hope that they had good geographic diversity in there. Um, like, obviously, you know, the parts of the country where Walmart's the strongest, and the parts of the country where Amazon's the strongest tend to be pretty bifurcated. So you know, if there's any uh, geographic flaws, but it's only a thousand people. It doesn't even matter. Like it's way too small a sample size. 190 million shoppers go to Walmart every month. More than 10 times that amount go to Amazon every month. They surveyed a thousand people. Like it's not statistically significant. And I've said it a million times. We have tons of evidence to the fact uh, stated preference surveys are irrelevant. Like customers get it wrong all the time. Like if I jumped in the email accounts for those thousand users, the the amount that shopped in Amazon versus Walmart would have no correlation to what they said. Like people just don't think like that. And so, you know, it was kind of a silly study. And I was, you know, frankly surprised by all the the journalists and analysts that like just, you know, 
consumed it and took it and run with it, ran with it. Like I, I, I love for there to be competition for Amazon. I'd love nothing more than for Walmart to be kicking Amazon's butt. But like this survey is certainly not evidence that they are. Yeah, I've got the infographic up and it's just essentially every little part of the infographic is wrong based on Amazon's results. It's it's pretty, pretty poor. It's It says Amazon Prime membership is dropping and it shows a little chart that it used to be 60% and then now it's like 52%. It's kind of like, it, you know, all those measures are wrong. Like the frequency is down. Um, you know, the frequency measure at... Amazon is paid items and it had its fastest quarter last quarter. If you listen to our last episode, um, you know, in a year. So all this is, this is a very bad survey. It makes you scratch your head. Yeah. And again, I I don't blame someone for doing some, some cheesy content marketing to get some traffic. Uh, I'm, or I I don't like it, but it, it happens all the time. I'm more disappointed by all the, like to me, more credible people that, that like cited that study and wrote articles and things that are like, man, like all you have to do is listen to our podcast once a week and you'll save yourself some embarrassment. Uh, So should we finally get to uh, what the audience has desperately been waiting for? Yeah. Let's talk about the holiday. Yeah. Um, So a couple quick precursors. Uh, We're going to talk about a bunch of different holiday forecasts and kind of how they all roll up. Uh, But a few things to remember Every company that forecasts holiday sales has a different definition of retail. So like the big ones are, is gas in or or not in retail? Is food in or not in? Are cars in or not in? And so none of these forecasts are perfect apples to apples because none of them have the same definition of retail. And even worse, these are all holiday forecasts. And there's a shocking variety in what people consider holiday. So a lot of people think holiday is November and December. Other people think it's November through January. There's uh, some people that think it's just Q4, which is October through December. Um, and so, again, there's a lot of variance in in what time period people are talking about. And sometimes they tell you and other times they really don't. So you're kind of just left to guess what they think holiday is. Um, most of these forecasts are going to compare their forecast this year with what actually happened last year. And I just want to remind all our listeners that last year sucked. Um, there was a lot of negative things going on. There was a government shutdown. Uh, there was a complicated tax cut that you know people didn't realize, but was kind of in their monthly paychecks. Um, the stock market took a big drop, and so consumer confidence was very low. And one of the things that that we uh, saw was that savings rate went way up. So people had less confidence, and they were saving more of their money instead of spending it over a holiday. So it was a bad holiday last year. Um, and then this year, you know, all those cons- those macro trends are more favorable. The economy in general feels more favorable. Um, you know, there's a couple negative things dangling out there. Um, but one of the, the big infrastructure things this year is that there are significantly fewer days between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And when I first say that to people, sometimes they look at me funny because they think there's, you know, the calendar is always the calendar. But remember, Thanksgiving falls on the last Thursday in November. And so depending on, on uh, how the calendar breaks down, that, that could be in a different week. So last year, Thanksgiving was on Thursday, November 22nd. This year, Thanksgiving is on November 28th. So last year, there were 34 days between Thanksgiving and Christmas. This year, there are only 28 days between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So there are six less days. And that's really scary to a lot of retailers. They feel like they have less days to sell their stuff. They have less days in in this prime shopping period. 
And so frankly, it really impacted a lot of holiday plans. Like retailers like started buying ads much earlier. They start, they leak their Black Friday sales much earlier. And they're, they're proactively doing a lot of things to mitigate this perception that, that they're going to sell less because they have less days between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And as I mentioned on the last show, there's actually, if you look at it in the big picture in the history of retail, there's a fair amount of empirical evidence that that uh, the number of days doesn't actually affect holiday sales. And that like when there are more days, the sales get spread out over more days. When there are fewer days, the same sales happen, you know, in the more concentrated set of days. So, I, you know, uh, whether it impacts or not remains to be seen, but you are for sure, anytime a retailer doesn't have a good holiday period, one of the things I can guarantee you they're going to blame is these six days. And weather. Don't, don't forget weather. Yeah, always, always going to blame the weather. Um, curiously... Uh, all weather is bad for retail. If it's too warm, uh, they're not selling enough valuable coats. And if it's too cold, they're not going outside to buy stuff. So it seems like no weather is good for retail, um, especially when your comps are poor. Um, I would also remind people that all these forecasts are about revenue. And the much more important thing for a retailer than revenue is profit. And, you know, uh, retailers care a lot about their comps, particularly if they're a public company. And so there's a lot of levers they can pull to make sure that they hit their revenue goals. And one of those revenues is how much they discount the stuff. Um, And so, you know, one of the things when when it looks like there's going to be a soft holiday season, retailers turn up all these knobs and discount things more aggressively and they hit the revenue numbers, but then their Q4 earnings come out and the earnings suck because um, they sold all that stuff at a deeper discount. And there's already some evidence that, you know, because of the six shorter days that retailers are leaning on that discount um, lever, you know, earlier. And, and, you know, that could be indicative of a not very profitable holiday season. The, the other thing that makes me think profits could be a little bit challenged is it's already very clear that retailers have bought a lot more digital ads this year than they did last year. And again, that could be a reaction to, the, the fewer days. Um, but you know, they're spending more on ads trying to catch more eyeballs and obviously those ads have a cost and that also affects profitability. So those are kind of my things to bear in mind while we talk about the forecasts. Yeah. So let's kick us off. All right. You're, so you're up first. Yeah. So we're uh, three different kinds of, uh, of companies doing forecasts. There are companies that just forecast total retail sales. So mostly brick and mortar and e-commerce is a part of that. There are companies that forecast brick and mortar and then break out the digital sales. And then there's companies that just forecast digital sales. So we're going to start with the brick and mortar folks. Uh, And the first one we're going to go with is uh, one of the most commonly cited one, uh, you know, an organization you and I are both involved with the National Retail Federation or NRF. They do a forecast every year. Um, Their holiday definition is November and December. Their definition of categories excludes automobile dealers, gasoline stations and restaurants. Um, so they're forecasting that total retail sales are going to grow between 3.8 and 4.2% this year. So, um, last year sales only grew 2.1%. Again, it was a, a, a sucky year. So they're forecasting a pretty healthy acceleration of growth this year over last year. Um, you know, call it the middle of their range would be 4%. So 4% versus 2.1%. Um, Last year really sucked. If you look at the last five years, the average was 3.7%. So 4% is even better than the, la- the, the trailing five-year average. 
Um, if you care, uh, that means there, it's about $730 billion worth of, worth of sales. Um, and one thing I'll say about the NRF is they're starting to develop a reputation as being overly optimistic. And so I will say, you know, I kept highlighting that last year we did 2.1% growth. NRF forecasted like 4.6% growth last year. So they missed it pretty badly last year. So their, their forecast this year is actually lower than their forecast last year. Um, and so, you know, hopefully that uh, they're going to be more accurate this time around. Um, but what, you know, if you talk to the head economists at NRF, what they're going to tell you is that there are more microeconomic factors affecting sales than ever before. And therefore they feel like the, the sphere of uncertainty around forecasting these sales is much higher than it's ever been. So they would actually say that like, it's tougher than ever to do these forecasts. Hmm. Um, Did they talk about the six days? Uh, not specifically in the forecast, as I recall. Okay. Um, they also didn't talk about the weather. Um, the side note, like we joke about the weather. I'm skeptical about the weather. There's like a huge white paper from IBM, talk, you know, which owns the weather channel talking about how forecasts that don't factor in the weather are wildly inaccurate. Um, so self-serving study, but kind of funny. Uh, so the other uh, forecast we have for pure brick and mortar sales is from a strategic consulting company called Alex Partners. Um, we'll put a link in there. Uh, their, their forecast had a lot less narrative with it, but basically they're forecasting between 4.4 and 5.3%. So even higher than the NRF forecast. Uh, their holiday uh, period is November through January and they don't tell you what product categories are in there. So two pure brick and mortar forecasts. One is about 4%. One is about, um, uh, call it 4.6%. And, you know, both of those are significantly higher than the actual sales last year at 2.1%. Cool. Um, as the e-commerce guy on the show, I'll kick it off with the next two that that have both uh, offline and online retail. First up is Deloitte. Uh, we'll put a link to theirs in the show notes. Uh, they're expecting total sales this holiday to exceed 1.1 trillion. They define the holiday as uh, effectively November through Jan 1. Uh, and they're expecting offline or total retail to be in the range of 45 to 5%, which feels pretty... Uh, you know, hot or or kind of on the on the high side, um, and then they're saying digital will be in the range of fourteen to eighteen percent, and uh, that would be up from last year's forecast of eleven point two. And then they're looking at about fifteen hundred dollars per household, um, you know, uh, for holiday, which you know is pretty robust. Uh, I think that includes mostly high spenders uh, in that category. Yeah, I think I saw something where like. The high spenders spend on average two thousand dollars per household, but like the you know they account for uh, you know the majority of spending. Awesome, uh, and then uh, I wonder. So it's too bad you've bought all your gadgets before November, um, because well maybe maybe they'll count November so that they you could be you could nudge that two thousand dollars up. Yes, I'm frequently accused of having a very narrow window between uh, uh, desire and fulfillment. <laughs> <laughs> um, up next is Kantar. Uh, and again, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. Um, they define holiday as October to December, which is pretty interesting. So it kind of loops in uh, Halloween to to some extent, which is kind of 
aggressive, but but that's what, how they define it. Um, and they're saying total retail three point eight percent, and then online fourteen percent. So you're starting to sense a theme here. There's kind of like this mid-teens seems to be where where a lot of the these forecasts are zeroing in on. And Jason, tell us about Salesforce. Yeah. So then the last category are folks that are only forecasting online sales. And in a way, these are the most interesting because these are vendors that have a big user base. So they're actually using the data from their user base as the basis for their forecast and then extrapolating it to the rest of of the the industry. So the first one is Salesforce. Uh, Their defining holiday is November 1 through December 31st. um, So those two months. Um, And they're forecasting digital revenue for holiday is going to grow at 13%. Um, So that's going to be like 136 billion in sales. Um, And, you know, that's a pretty robust forecast. Uh, One of the things that I like about Salesforce is they actually have a live dashboard that runs over the holiday period where you can see what the latest trends are in real time. So I'll put a link to their, their holiday hub in there as well. And then a forecast we've used a lot on this show is from Adobe. Um, you know, again, Adobe has a bunch of products that are used by e-commerce sites. And, you know, in particular, they have an analytics product that's used by a lot of e-commerce sites. So they see a pretty big chunk of e-commerce sales and they use that to base their forecast on. Their defining holiday is November and December and they are forecasting 14.1% online growth, which is $143 billion based on their their definition of retail. So a couple of uh, healthy forecasts for online sales. Cool. So if, if we kind of uh, summarize everything and look, we come up with online, the, the average of the forecast is just north of 14%. Um, the range is between 13 and 18%. Uh, and if you recall, the the setup from Amazon was was pretty robust. They they're growing at like twenty two percent in third quarter. Um, so I kind of feel like even this is a little conservative because just Amazon alone being half of e commerce, if it if they can do twenty percent, then you know that would imply the rest has to grow at like ten percent to kind of get to this fourteen percent. So um, we'll have to see. But I, I I feel like these things are a little on the conservative side, but. You know, we'll see. Um, the interesting thing is we used to rely on Comscore for kind of a, you know, how did we do last year? And they've stopped, as best we can tell, would love if any listeners know otherwise, they've stopped kind of rounding up the entire holiday. They'll talk more about certain days and trends. Um, they, they're they not out on record saying 2018 was X percent. So um, that used to be our go-to. So there is no really good one source for how last year was. So, uh, you know, it's hard to compare that to how last year was. I feel like it's two to 3% higher than kind of like what we saw last year. Um, but you know, there's no clear data point out there. And then Jason, why don't you summarize total retail? Yeah. So, uh, kind of the, the average of the four total retail forecast is like 4.35%. Um, the range was like three seven to five three, um, and again last year was two point one. So uh, very healthy total retail growth um, this year versus last year. And again, last year was a pretty down year, um, but these forecasts are all you know slightly better than the the five year average. So that's potentially a good thing on the revenue side. Um, again, if I were betting. I don't think it's going to be a phenomenal year on the profitability side. I think, um, you know, there already have been a lot of tariffs and the, 
the retailers and the manufacturers seem to have eaten the, the cost of the tariffs because they haven't really, you know, been priced in. Prices are pretty competitive, as we saw from that Profitero study. There's a bunch of studies that people are spending more on ads and discounting earlier. So, uh, you know, I think we may goose the top line and uh, not have a phenomenal bottom line, but I, I would love to be wrong on that. Um, but that is going to be a good place to leave it because I feel like we've uh, used up a little bit more than our allotted time, but hopefully it was all valuable. And if you did find it useful, we'd love it if you'd jump on iTunes and finally give us that five-star review. If you uh, have any further questions or want to chat about anything we talked about tonight, as always, hit us up on our, our Twitter accounts or uh, leave a message on our Facebook page. And Scott, it's always nice chatting with you. You too. Thanks, everyone. We really appreciate it. We hope you're locked down with all your holiday pricing strategies, your inventory. Everything's locked and loaded. Uh, we've got Singles Day, which is going to kind of kick it off here coming up next week. We'll keep you posted on what we're seeing out there in e-commerce and retail land. And in the very near future, our very special four-year anniversary 200th episode. So the, uh, be sure to catch that one. Until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 